Well, hello and welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. And I've got to tell you, PJ, it feels very good to be back in a regular kind of recording position. Um, I've got, you know, I've got my desk, I've got my water, I've got my, my two screens in front of me. Yeah, but you don't have any dogs. No, no, that is true. That is true. And 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 to their credit, they were very quiet. <laughs> they were. The they were very recording. good boys. Wouldn't have known they were there had you not told me. Um, gosh, I'm such an awful podcast host. I, I swear, I was about to say something interesting. It just kind of fell out of my brain. Um, People Morrison come to us for saying interesting things. <laughs> Indeed. No, that's it, PJ. Yes, I was going to say I am getting used to the new intro, but I'm not so used to it that i don't have to have it out on my phone in front of me <laughs> i mean i mean you know it might come and go we're going to be looking at so many different things in this new era bold new era as as the 90s comics would have it and who knows where the intro will take us i guess the real question will be when we when we do the eternally promised avengers recap mm. uh do we co-opt this uh, very DC-centric podcast to our ends, or create a separate one, uh, you know, and then and then and then we start asking questions about: Do we have room in our lives to to be to be kind of parallel processing two podcasts? Well, I don't know because, like, I'd like to look at Avengers, but I think that would be maybe the only Marvel thing I'd want to look at in on this podcast. Mm. Uh, I don't, you know, I, there's some stuff from 90s Marvel that I do have great affection for, but I don't think it's as interesting, perhaps, as some of the DC stuff that we can look at. It is kind of funny, isn't it? Because aside from that magical kind of 1997 moment uh, that brought about, obviously, Grant Morrison's JLA, but also the Busick and Perez Avengers run, uh, the 90s, not many highlights for Marvel. And the Avengers. I mean, I guess he got the crossing. <laughs> no, we're not doing the crossing. I read it all like two years ago. I just sat down and read every part of the crossing. And it was it's one of the worst comics <laughs> comic stories I've ever read. The um Yeah, it, it's funny, isn't it? Like I was about to say, like, it would be interesting to look at parts of the much maligned Onslaught saga. There's some good bits in it, but there's also some awful bits in it. Yeah, I, d- I do feel there's some moments in it where some something truly interesting seems to be going on. Where or maybe that could just be me, but I, how about PJ? We end up doing like um, oh I don't know. Uh, we could do like an, uh, a Marvel minute or something. We hmm. could do like uh, hidden in the middle of an episode. We could do like a small Marvel section just to test the waters. <laughs> what we need is we need a rich benefactor to start paying us to do this podcast so that we could make it weekly and then we could alternate DC one week Marvel the other. Do you if we did it weekly, do you think we would ever, you know, c- kind of like doubling our output, would we ever exhaust content? Not if we're separating it out, as I say, if if we do it week weekly but each week is one DC each fortnight sorry is one DC one Marvel, then we sort of still doing the same amount of stuff and you you know the amount of comics they put out in the 90s i don't think you can run out of marvel and dc books from the decade can you is that 
I don't know. What what about if you start, I don't know, having to do Sleepwalker issue 16 or something? Don't be silly. Sleepwalker didn't have that many issues. (laughs) 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 Okay, PJ, I think we've peaked. This might actually be our singularity because... That is that is potentially one of the funniest comic jokes I've ever heard. And also I appreciate that perhaps only two people would appreciate it yeah. on the planet. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Do you know I've never read an actual issue of Sleepwalker, just guessed I think I think he appears in the Maximum Carnage Spider Man crossover and then bizarrely mid two thousands he turned up in Miss Marvel. Really? Yeah, wow. when Brian Reed was on the book during the initiative phase they brought in a load of z-listers to work under miss marvel huh you know i'll tell you i i don't know if i've mentioned it on the air before but i'll tell you what is a deceptively good little run uh it's the um the secret invasion tie-in with the initiative when 3d or triathlon comes back as 3d man oh is that where they bring in the scroll kill crew yeah yes there are some bad, badass moments in there where I think because uh, I I liked um, triathlon yeah, in me the too. pages of of Busek and Perez's Avengers, and I have a real sucker. I, I I am a real sucker for any superhero costume which is divided down the middle into two colours. <laughs> so I think the three D man costume is both stupid and wonderful, and I can't get enough of it. No, same. Absolutely the same. I I loved when Triathlon became the 3D. Because I I sort of have a real soft spot for the goofier elements of the 1950s and 60s superhero characters and designs, Mm. which 3D Man, in terms of the name and the costume, just fits into so well. Well, yeah, because they're kind of... um, Because I know... um, uh, I I, I keep saying Busek and Perez, uh, but I guess uh, Busek uh, touched on this in uh, Avengers Forever, where we had the... um, the so-called like uh, lost Avengers, like the Avengers team of like the nineteen fifties. Yeah, which I think is pretty much the group that would then go on to become Agents of Atlas in the two thousands. Which is a book I never read, but I kind of wanted to check it out. I've read bits of it, and I've got to say, I think I don't know what I made of it. I think that's a you have to read all of that one. I think mm. for it to work and make sense. But it's it's one I'd like to properly check out at some point. Yeah. Because that was one of those weird things where, like, um, Marvel Marvel has had so many characters called Marvel Boy mm. and so many characters called Marvel Girl. Yeah. It's, yeah. And that was potentially the original Marvel Boy? I think so. From before... Were they Marvel at that point? I can't remember when they became Marvel Comics now, if that was in the 50s or... Because they were timely when mm. the original bunch, when and Marvel Comics was one of their books that the Human Torch first appeared in, but I cannot remember when they actually changed the company name to Marvel. Now, I, I, part of me wants to say that happened with Fantastic Four issue one, mm. but I might have got that wrong. Because I'm trying to think about it. Because like the the original Marvel Boy was uh, from like Uranus or something like that. Like <laughs> I think it was Venus. Was it Venus? Yeah. Um, or it might Venus have been Neptune. It was from ne- another planet. Well, well, PJ, the only reason I think... The only reason I think he was from Uranus was... Uh, Uranus. Was... Um, didn't they rename him in Agents of Atlas to the Uranian? 
Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Although Neptunian would probably have been better. Yeah. Anyway, um, but is, he had a kind of red and blue costume. No pants, I want to say. Mm. In like a kind of Robin, the boy wonder kind of way. Yeah. And didn't he have golden bands on his wrists? Yes, he did. Yeah. Which is, that's where it all started, isn't it? Yeah. Even though it gets a bit inconsistent, and sometimes they're nega bands, and sometimes they're quantum bands. I I want to say that the nega bands and the quantum bands ended up being two different things. They just happened to look a bit similar. Yeah, and and because the the nega bands were the ones Captain Marvel used to swap places with Rick Jones in the negative zone. Yes, and the quantum bands were the source of Quasar's powers. Yeah, and they were a bit more kind of green lantern-y. Yeah. Like you could make constructs out of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm thinking about it. Is that what they're doing with... Because I know they... have uh, In the cinematic, Marvel Cinematic Universe, such as it is, I know they're, they've kind of brought the bands back with Ms. Marvel, haven't uh, they? Yeah. It's just the one bangle. Have you watched Ms. Marvel? Uh, Lucy watched it. I happened to be uh, nearby when it was on. Okay, because there's a hmm, there's a slight <laughs> spoiler for the very end of the show, but that does tie into the Negabands theory. Oh, so I, I don't think know I, whether... I I think I, I I do know what you're referring to. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, if you haven't watched Miss Marvel, this is a spoiler. So maybe skip on a little bit. But um, <laughs> very end of the show, post credit scene, final episode is, um, I can't remember how it happens, but something happens with the band that Miss Marvel is wearing for her powers, and she and Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, swap places. Carol Danvers just appears in her room, like, as if she's come out of the negative zone or something. So, yeah. It's so, it's so, you know, I was thinking about this. Like, if we ever do a do look at the Busick Perez run on Avengers... It will, it, it will in itself be such an oddity because we live in this really curious world now where, like, the Avengers are a global property, like a massive property. Mm. But, like, it, it is a another universe. Like, it is its own continuity. Like, entirely, uh, you know, some of these characters, I mean, Captain Marvel in particular, are, are, are completely different to anything, any kind of comics history they might have. So... You know, it's it's recognizing that, like talking about this stuff, it would be kind of unrecognizable or nonsense to anyone who's grown up on the cinematic universe. Well, it was it was at the time when a lot of Marvel's heroes didn't have the same name recognition, did they? The the X Men, Spider Man, and the Hulk were the main ones that everyone knew because mm. they'd had one way or another a television presence. Um, but the rest of them, you know, they're you know, Iron Man, Captain America, very much. B-list heroes at best at that point. Yeah, I mean, I I knew I was odd for liking Iron Man, and that's yeah. only because I quite liked his cartoon. Which I should say, PJ, I, I rewatched a few episodes of. Oh, that was a mistake, Disney John. Plus. That was a mistake. It it is it's awful. Yeah, like it it it, it is. You might be listening to this and thinking, oh, I bet it'll be quite kind of cheesy and fun. I'm going to go watch it now really don't like it is so bad the second season is an improvement um they they sort of ditch the 
Because the first season is very much Tony and Force Works, and it's basically the same plot every episode. Second season, they sort of ditch Force Works. The animation gets a lot better. Um, oh, and it's a bit more, bit more fun. I think the second season is 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 definitely better than the first season. I think the second season's worth revisiting, but that first season is really bad. Force Works is was such, it was such an odd. I don't know, like, gosh, it's such an odd thing to adapt. Like. Yeah. I get you want to have like maybe a supporting cast, but you know you watch the first episode. It's just like there's no setup. There's no setup. There's no origin story, which I, I, I guess might be something to commend. But like, it's just like Tony troubles the, the a submarine is in danger. Quick, get Force Works, and then it's just like, hi, Spider Woman's here. Hawkeye's here. Century. Century. Yeah. Like, heck's going on? It's, a really you know, weird take on the Scarlet Witch. Yeah, she's French, isn't she? Yeah, something like that. Oh, it's bizarre. <laughs> I'll tell you what I have been uh, rereading. Uh, Grant Morrison's new X-Men. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I um, I, 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 I picked it up uh, thinking because I just wanted to reread the opening three issues mm. with, with Frank Quietly on it, which I, which I still think is one of the, the strongest openings of a... Of a like a rebooted, soft rebooted series I've ever read. Yeah, uh, it's so bold. It's, it's it's really just shook things up and turned it on its head. And then ended up just rereading rereading the whole thing. And hmm. um, yeah, kind of like a bit messy, a bit disjointed, but it's still got some absolutely lovely bits in it. Yeah, and I feel like with New X Men, the messy disjointed parts is editorial interference rather yes. than anything Morrison was was trying to to do with it because i think marvel bottled it on that they went yeah we'll get grant morrison and then morrison was doing a morrison on it and marvel went we're not sure about this oh no the um uh it's interesting that you know because i remember one of the criticisms of the morrison run on jla was it was all action it was no humanity like no no kind of interpersonal moments i like and to think we disproved that over the course yes. of our podcast i i i i agree pj i think there's some lovely human moments in it at the same time it it is a it is a series which is quite big on on, on spectacle yeah, and yeah. uh whereas it's, it's interesting that you know morrison i want to say kind of you know kind of lured over by marvel it's like oh we saw what you did for jla it's great Can you come over and do it for x-men because x-men is in the doldrums right now it was, yeah. And it's interesting that the next really big series, like mainstream series that Morrison does, does is so different to JLA, so different. Because it, it's almost nothing but personal drama when they're doing the new X-Men. It's, and, I, and I really like it. I think if Marvel wanted Morrison to do what they had done on JLA with one of their books, they should have stuck Morrison on Avengers. Now, but they hmm. didn't. They put Morrison on X-Men, which, just as a premise from the start, is something you can do a lot more weird and wild stuff with. So, I always got the impression that, particularly, particularly after JLA, Morrison kind of had the... was at a point in their career where it was really like their job to... Ref, you know, it, it, was, it was a job to, for them to refuse, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. they could basically go where they wanted and... I have wondered about this because I loved the Avengers growing up and I loved Morrison. And I think I'd always wondered, like, what would it have been like 
to have a, a Morrison run on the Avengers. Yeah. Now, here's a question for you, P- for you, PJ. Do you think Morrison would have actually have been interested in that? Um, I feel like they would have, to be honest. I think the chance to... I mean, yeah, X-Men and Spider-Man are Marvel's two big ones, but I feel like maybe that would be the point. I think... Obviously, I can't say this for sure, but if Morrison had jumped on Avengers instead of new X-Men... Maybe that would be the point where, like, Spider-Man and Wolverine are joining the team and they do become Marvel's JLA to a bigger degree. Oh, interesting. And Morrison does. Well, what's the Marvel Big Seven? I do think about, like... Because when, when Morrison did JLA, it, it seemed to be going... You know, it was it was an exercise in going very symbolic. You know, yeah. let's go for, like, the big, big names, the Magnificent Seven. They are the Greek gods. They're larger than life. And then they do New X-Men and it's Morrison's like kind of counterculture, uh, outsider, chic, you know, really doing quite kind of, for the time, quite kind of cutting edge, you know, making them very real and social. Yes, and with, with some really bizarre out there science fiction concepts as well to go with yeah. it. Yeah. And then I'm like, I don't know. I just, I, I would, lo- I, you know, I'd love to see it, but I'd be thinking like, what would Morrison do with the Avengers, the Avengers of that era as mm. well, like a pre-cinematic universe? Yeah, because well, I know that the, you know, Morrison couldn't have taken Avengers because Busick was still on it when they started New X Men. Because you get mm. Beast shows up in the final issue of Busick's Avengers, and it's the. <laughs> for the, the Frank quietly, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's really weird seeing him out of context. Yeah, um, but and then you've only got not that long, really. With you've got the Jeff Johns run, which isn't that long. Chuck Austin run, which is even shorter, and then you get Bendis on Disassembled. So Morrison wouldn't have had that much time. Although maybe that would have just completely changed the whole last twenty years of the Marvel universe because you wouldn't have had Bendis doing New Avengers if Morrison was on it doing whatever Morrison was going to do with it. Well, to be honest, like you know, I know I know Marvel bottled it a bit with with new X Men, but um, they wanted Morrison to revitalize the series, and you know what, job done. Yeah, you know, I think that kind of started a trajectory for the X Men, which lasted a great many years, where they were back to being a massive title. Yeah, um, and I I always got the impression that well, even down to the naming convention, when they got Bendis in, and it and it became New Avengers. Yep. They're clearly running with what Morrison started, so I do wonder, like, if if Morrison and Marvel had parted on better terms, maybe they would have tried to say, "Could you jump over to the Avengers now? Give us like a new a new Avengers under your pen." Yeah, and that would have been very interesting to see. I always felt quite sad that we never got the Morrison um, Authority run. Mm. We got one issue, which is kind of like lost media now. Hmm. I've never uh, read it. I have read it. Now, the question then comes up. It's like, how have I read it? Do I own it? And if I own it, where is it? <laughs> anyway, PJ. Anyway, sorry. Fun fun digressions aside. What about uh, those fun digressions? Well, we're deep in the Morrison paint, aren't we? It's, it's uh, back in Morrison territory with Superman Beyond. Yeah, which is a two-part series but i feel like it's so morrison that we're a lot deeper than just two issues into <laughs> <laughs> it felt like a lot happened in the last issue 
Yeah, I think that was that's the thing, isn't it? It feels like this should have been more than a two-issue series, in a way. A bit more room to breathe, I think, is my only... I loved it, but I think a little more room to breathe would make it a little bit more special. Maybe. Maybe. Well, I guess the interesting thing... We'll, we'll, we'll touch on it, I think, as we get through this issue and, and certain plot points kind of unfold, but it's interesting that this story this two-part story which falls in right in the middle of final crisis seems to be such a passion project for morrison and as you say there's almost like enough content here where this could have been final crisis yeah and it probably would have been better yeah it's it's odd then that final crisis was what it was you know and that, that morrison found the time to write a story which seems very personal to Morrison mm. in the middle of it. And maybe, don't want to put words in their mouth, but maybe they were enjoying it more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say, isn't it, how things could have been different if they'd written something else. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's nice to speculate. It, it is. It is. So, I, I mean, PJ, what, what has happened and where are we right now? Uh, no, you'd better do the recap this week, John. I'm... <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hello. Right. Okay. So, um, uh, Earth is in the grip of the final crisis. So, uh, don't worry about that too much. All, all you need to know is that uh, things are really bad. There's a massive global catastrophe going on. And in the mix of it all, uh, Superman is kind of out of action because... I was, I was thinking, should I simplify this? But no, um, I'm just going to go for it. Because Clayface... Acting under the directions of Libra, who is a, who has brought together a new um, society of evil. PJ, um, what what would you call it? Uh, um, the bat- secret society, evil people group. Okay, well, uh, Libra has brought together a bunch of villains, and he's he's bringing them to, over to the religion of crime. And as part of that, he's he's helping them get vengeance on the heroes and Clayface turned into Jimmy Olsen and set off a bomb in the Daily Planet building, which wounded Lois Lane. She's now in a coma. And the only thing keeping her alive is Superman sitting at her bedside in his Clark Kent identity, massaging her heart with his infrared vision to stop the shrapnel going in. Uh, But just as she has one heartbeat left to beat, time freezes and a strange being called... Um. Oh. Oh. What's it? What's v- she called? Villa Be- Zella. Zella. Lilo. No. Lilo Zane. Villa Zillow. Anyway, Aston she's Villa. Aston Villa turns up. She's <laughs> she's she's a monitor, and she says, "Superman, I know your secret identity. I've frozen time. Your wife only has one heartbeat left to beat. You must come with me on the greatest mission of all time, and in return, I will give you." Uh, bleed or ultra menstruum which is the the ultimate substance and it can cure anything so uh, if you help me uh, you'll get to save um, save your wife's life Uh, superman is then brought onto a uh, a a shift ship which can sail between universes and um, uh, i can't remember what it's called all of a sudden it's it's, the ultimate fool the Ultima Fool, yes. There I we thought go. that was a book. No, you're right. Yeah, The Ultima Fool. Uh, and so he's joined a team of of other parallel universe supermen. Uh, they've gone on a big mission uh, across universes. They're being chased by a destroyer, which is serving something called Mandrak. Um, they've crash-landed in Limbo, which is the place where stories end and characters that are no longer in continuity get dumped. 
Um, because there are no stories here, they are all slowly losing their memories and their purpose. But they find the ultimate book, which is a single page which contains every page ever written, ever. So it theoretically contains the repair manual for their broken ship. So they are trying to transport the book back to the ultimate fool. And in doing so, Captain Marvel and Superman gain a vision of perhaps the origin of the entire universe mm. and uh and how there are now there is now a multiverse growing inside a large sentient void and because the uh, the large sentient void got infected by the stories that were growing inside it uh it has kind of caught a fiction like you or I would catch a cold and now it has invented a fiction of a race of kind of super science gogs called the monitors uh, and uh, and they themselves have a legend of like a, a fallen son uh, who's kind of been imprisoned in a big vault. Uh, it's starting to rain blood, PJ. And uh, 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 just because everything is going to hell, uh, the sky breaks open in limbo. Uh, this giant destroyer ship breaks out. Uh, just as we see Ultraman, Superman's anti-matter evil counterpart, last seen in the pages of Earth 2... Uh, is holding the ultimate book, uh, the single page, and has had a religious epiphany because he has learnt that evil wins in the end. Yeah, that's why I didn't want to do that recap. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking to myself, no, that's that's far too much detail. No, it's like all of that happened. Yep. Like that is that is a, everything happened. So that was one issue, people. That was one issue. That is enough story for a crossover. <laughs> But I, I think that's pretty much where 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 we are right now. Yes, yeah, it is. So, uh, PJ, given that I just monopolised the mic for what feels like fifteen minutes, uh, would you like to take us into the issue? Well, it, it starts pretty much exactly where we left off: Ultraman holding the infinite book and just monologuing about how <laughs> he's he's read it to the end and he's seen the final chapter. And I like this line: "There is a god, and he hates us all." I like this because Ultraman is not an especially deep character. No, he's an idiot. <laughs> um, Earth 2 is a fascinating look at an alternate world based on the premise that evil wins in that world. Mm. That uh, um, the bad guys always win. Uh, the more you think about it, the tougher it gets to understand how that world actually works. But I think to some extent this kind of it it does a lot to kind of explain how that world might work. Yeah, yeah, and well, it helps that Ultraman is is ruling that world as well. I think. Indeed, yes. I, I like the idea that all they care about is property, greed, and ownership. Like yeah. it's not nice, but it has a kind of twisted logic to it. <laughs> yep, yep. And we sort of start pulling back on the the camera from Ultraman to see like the massive evil robot ship thing that they were stuff that was chasing them and that they were fighting off uh in the last issue behind him as as ultraman he says this you know the god that hates them all is building a bridge from the void into the multiverse the book says his name is mandrak and ultraman kneels at this point which you can't really imagine is something ultraman does lightly and says and all life shall kneel before mandrak and die yeah, like he he is yeah, he he is a a late life 
convert. Like he is now evangelical for a a a god that he did not truly believe in a few moments ago. Yeah. It's it's actually quite a scary opening page when Ultraman who you know he's he is Superman's opposite, equal and opposite on on an evil world. So as compassionate and kind and intelligent as Superman is, Ultraman is as selfish and vain and evil and corrupt and just as powerful. And but also just as they both have um a, a real sense of self and sense of purpose. <laughs> and there's not much either you know, Superman would never kneel to a despot or anything like that. And I'll like look look at the Prometheus storyline is a great example when Prometheus says, "Right, thing I've got for you, Superman, kill yourself." And Superman just stands there with his arms folded, still looking very powerful, and going and says, "Right, I will do it, but I need assurances that these people are safe." And you never feel like Superman is out of control of that situation. Mm. Ultraman is that, but evil. So to see Ultraman kneeling to something and admitting that there is something greater than him that he can worship and work for is terrifying. I I said this before, but I, I love Morrison's villains. Uh I, I have a feeling that Morrison has a lot of fun writing Ultraman. Uh I, I'm amazed that oh that I'm amazed that Morrison can find so many different flavours of evil. Mm. Because Ultraman's form of evil is very different to Lex Luthor's form of evil. Yes. Which is very different to, say, the Joker's form of evil, which is different to Darkseid's. I they're all hateful and they're all terrifying, but they're all bringing something different to the table. Yes. Like Ultraman is like the ultimate bully. Like there's a horrible simplicity to him in a way. Mm. Um and, and yet he's no no less kind of scary for it. He's um yeah, he's horrible. <laughs> so that's our opening. <laughs> uh, and as we, you know, and as kind of Ultraman kneels and kind of great big terrifying like tentacles kind of burst down from on high, um, we turn the page and, uh, well, PJ, I might have been scared, but I'll tell you who isn't. It's is Superman. It Adam- oh, sorry, Superman. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's Superman and and Doctor Manhattan. Do you think Morrison asked if they could actually use Doctor Manhattan and was told, "No, you're not Jeff Johns." Oh well, this is still some some time before they did do the. Oh, what did they call it, PJ? The um, clock, um, Doomsday Clock. Yeah. Yeah, so I think at this point in DC continuity, I think Watchmen was still one of the few properties that was off off limits. Yeah, but I, I wonder if, if, if Morrison did ask, though, if they were like, hey, do you think I could? And DC went, no. And Morrison went, oh, okay, I'll use Captain Adam instead. It is fascinating, though. Because, mm. again, I know, like, this is, this is about as... Sim- oh. It'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more kind of symbolic piece of Morrison's work. Um, I do like to believe that this is literally this is literally Superman and Doctor Manhattan mm. facing off against the the religious concept of evil, which is kind of like <laughs> I feel this is how Morrison might exercise the world, basically. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> 
And yeah, Superman's just standing there saying, sounds like a challenge to me. God, I love Superman. He's great. Uh, he's like, uh, I, it's been said before, it'll say it again. He is everything like, I don't know, everything like a father figure should be. Yeah. Like, he's kind, he's brave, uh, he's patient, you know, he's not condescending. Like, he's just great. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's as excitable as I am today. Hey, PJ, you know that Superman? He's pretty great. He's actually. pretty great. Superman, if there's one thing you take away from the JLA cast, it's Superman, pretty great. He's all right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so um, as Superman just kind of, you know, I don't want to say smiles, but just goes, sounds like a challenge to me. Um, we see the sky, like, cracking. It's um, shattering, isn't it? Uh, it's like there's this horrible red kind of, uh, just kind of hue. Uh, over everything in limbo and um as the destroyer uh is coming down from on high with all these horrible black tentacles uh we see uh merry man uh the hero <laughs> the hero we need pj um who uh of course was once uh, a great a great great character in the dc in the dc pantheon uh got forgotten about exiled to limbo turned up in grant morris's animal man and is now finally pissed off uh, he's like he said they abandoned us they forgot about us you know now they want to steal our trash and he go and he just yanks a gun off someone and says give me that and he says limbo says no and um we see all the forgotten misbegotten ridiculous heroes uh raise their weapons in a, in a big battle cry <laughs> yeah it's great merry man that great character who, you know, I think uh, we need to write to DC and pitch our Merry Man and Pharaoh team-up series. That's what we need. I think, as, as Merry Man himself said, he's got real potential for a gritty reboot that no one's exploited. <laughs> anyway, PJ, we turn the page. Yep, and there we are with, what's her name? Zillow. Uh, Zillow Valor. Yeah, thank you. Who's sat in a chair with, like, a device plugged into her chair chest that then is connecting to the bleed from the ship presumably just to sort of give her a bit of a pick-me-up yeah yeah and um you know we we established last last issue that she's a a vampire of sorts yep um so uh and also she fed on overman yeah who, who seems fine now yeah, and he was the uh, kind of, well, he would say not a Nazi, but, you know, uh, the Nazi Superman, basically. Yes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, uh, we, we have Billy Batson, who's there, um, who has forgotten his his magic word. And, uh, you know, Overman says, stand back, boy. Uh, she's a vampire. And his, his eyes light up and he goes, someone has to kill her before... Uh, and then Billy, Billy's not having it. He skips, he skips between Overman and uh, Zillow Valor. Yeah, and just says, "Look, I, I don't like Nazis telling me what to do." And this isn't, this isn't Captain Marvel. This is just Billy Batson, the child, standing between a Superman and a vampire, and just saying, "Yep, nope, not happening." A cosmic space vampire, BJ. Cosmic space vampire. Yep, you're right. Sorry. And um, Overman, you know, kind of stops. And you know, kind of falters for a moment, and explains that uh, you know his his rocket from Krypton landed in you know kind of you know early Nazi Germany, and uh, 
he goes on to say that like um you know the technology which and the power that you know that kryptonian lended the, uh, lent the nazis is what allowed them to kind of conquer the world and he goes on to say i and my kind inherited a utopia built on human suffering mine is not any world you know um so yeah so they do expand M morrison expands on overman uh, a little bit in um in the pages of multiversity mm. uh and you see this kind of like present day uh, earth which is has been ruled by the nazis for decades and overman is immortal uh and uh you see a kind of nazi version of the of the uh jla which is a bit is a bit it's a bit odd to see <laughs> uh but yeah but he's looking for his lost cousin yeah he says he can't permit this monster to deceive them any further. And another great line here is, as Billy just says, I guess every monster has a story over man, including her. So, yeah, I think you're a monster. I think she's a monster. You've got this side to you. So maybe she's got this side to her as well. And we should talk to her. And, um, yeah, and I've I got to say, PJ, I, I, I love this. I love some of the interactions which are about to happen. I, I, I love Morrison writing Billy Batson. Um I am still to this day a little confused by when Billy Batson says she's not a person, she's a sprite, an artificial intelligence. The ship took your blood to repair itself over man. So like I, I've got to say I thought I had a bit of a, an understanding on how the monitors worked. Um, I, I'm really, I don't know now. So she is part of the ship and the ship is also her. I, is my interpretation of this somehow, but yeah, how that relates to the other monitors and things, I'm 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 unclear. Uh, yeah. So anyway, probably probably best not to don't don't worry about you don't worry yourself don't trouble yourself about it. Listen, <laughs> um, but yeah. So uh, Billy says uh, I may not be a superhero like Captain Marvel, but I've always been pretty grown up for my age. I work as a reporter at Wiz Media, and I smell a story, a love story, in fact. So please. No killing over man. Yeah. And uh, Zillow smiles at Billy and says, you know, I could have chosen, and I like this, here's a list. I could have <laughs> chosen Saviour or Majestic, Supremo, Guardsman, Hyperius, Icon or Principal. I chose you. So, right. Is, I know most of these, Hyperius, is that them sort of saying Hyperion without saying Hyperion? <laughs> Well, the, the real question, PJ, would be in the of the DC multiverse, in the world that is based on the Avengers, uh, is there an event? Is there a DC analog of an Avengers analog? Oh of God! So you're saying that <laughs> DC's Squadron Supreme is led by Hyperius? <laughs> I mean, I mean. Uh, yeah, maybe. Okay. <laughs> in, in the uh, in the in the pages of Multiversity, they do a guide to the multiverse as planned out by Morrison, and there are a lot of Superman analogs that mm. pop up in that. Some of which I have never heard of before. So it's entirely possible that Hyperius is one of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know Majestic Icon, obviously. Uh savior i'm not overly sure on supremo guardsman or principal who's uh who's savior um 
Ah, oh, now I've I had it and it's gone. Ah, oh, I hate my brain. Okay, I'll put you on the spot. See, see if it comes back to you later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we get this lovely. Oh my god, I I would I would tattoo this on my heart, PJ. I love this to bits. Um, so Billy says, "I'll do whatever I can to help," but you know what? I lost my magic hero word. Word, to which Zillow Valor says, "Fear not." I hear its echo in the chambers of your great heart, Billy Batson. Two syllables, then the lightning. <laughs> ah, it's so good. <laughs> um, have you read um, Flex Mentalo, PJ? Or Flex no, I Mentalo? haven't. No, no. There is, there is a. Uh, I think Morrison is, has a soft spot for Captain Marvel uh, or Shazam, if you will. Because uh, uh, there, there are very strong allusions to a magic word in that. So, yeah, I think this has got real real power for Morrison per- personally. And, and I just love that, that that phrasing there of like the it's echo in the chambers of your great heart. I think it's just little things like that where I know particularly Captain Marvel could be seen as a bit silly. But like, I think this is what makes the comic version of Captain Marvel in particular so appealing. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. It's not just being strong, it's being kind of, I don't know, kind as well. Uh, I, I've realised I've confused Supremo with, um, was there, there was an Alan Moore book, wasn't there, Supreme? Yes. That's uh, that's who I was thinking of. Oh, well maybe, well maybe you're right, PJ. Maybe like, um, if that, if Hyperius and Supremo aren't, um, you know, kind of actual DC uh, alternate universe Superman. Maybe this is a legally distinct way of referring to them. Yeah, yeah, could be. Oh heck, and maybe like Savior is like um, Samaritan from Astro City. Or oh something. yes, there we go. Hello, there we <laughs> go. Uh, so we just need to figure out Guardsman. Guardsman, the Sentry. Did the Sentry exist at this point? Uh yes, I think he did. I'm just guessing. Oh, God, it could be Sentry, couldn't it? Yeah. I've never thought about this before. Yeah. That would make sense. Okay. We're getting there. We're figuring this out. Uh, But PJ, uh, uh, back in the world of our Superman, uh, what's happening? Well, um, Limbo is crumbling around them and Merry Man is shouting for Superman to promise to remember them even if no one else does as Ultraman just stands in the middle of the wreckage with his fist raised to the sky and Superman just says I will and they will I guess you can be a hero anywhere Merry Man it's, uh, sorry I, I'm having a good time here PJ I'm, <laughs> I'm loving all this there's um, a nice little moment there for Superman kind of echoed in some of Morrison's work on new X-Men, which really struck me on this particular read through the idea of like broken characters finding dignity where they can. Mm. I really like that. I like, you know, it's not big, it's not special, but I, I kind of like that Superman, I don't know. It's just nice. Like I'll remember Merry Man for doing something awesome here, even though the whole point is that we're not supposed to remember that character. Well, they miscolored his hood. Merry Man, it's oh, uh, good grief! It's green instead of the yellow. It's been sort of the rest of the. Oh, you're right. Well, yeah. I take it back. I take it back then. So even the colorist has forgotten Merry Man already. <laughs> I, like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like throwing too much shade on on, on the creative team. But I, I would say that there's 
been a few moments in these two stories where I, and to be honest, it's a hell of a complex story to bring about. But like, there have been some errors in the lettering, and occasionally like a couple of colouring errors. Like mm-hmm. I think I think Ultraman's gloves disappeared at one point. Oh, they've disappeared on this panel as well. Oh yeah, they have. <laughs> but then they're back on the next panel. <laughs> Guys, come on, what's going on? <laughs> Maybe it's you know, limbo as a reality is sort of crumbling around them. So as reality crumbles, things just sort of don't be right. <laughs> they don't be right. <laughs> and that is a PJ Montgomery trademark sentence that you can use whenever you want. They don't be right. Peter Jeffrey Montgomery, uh, 2023. <laughs> that don't be right. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the armies of Limbo are facing off against uh, all these kind of like evil silhouettes, which are millions of them are raining down out of the destroyer. And uh, Superman turns to Dr. Manhattan. (laughs) Says that the people need their help, but Dr. Captain and Manhattan Adam is (laughs) is saying he's he's trying to contact the monitor mind. It's eternal and they're so small, but also so significant. And then he asks the question, how can it matter so much? And Superman is Superman. So Superman just shouts, it does to me. Yeah, um... Uh, so we see uh, uh, the you know the armies of Limbo fighting these kind of endless hordes of like black silhouettes, which I guess we also, we did see in um, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yes, back in, back in yeah, the day. they they sort of the first wave of of sort of soldiers that the Anti Monitor sent against the world. So um, Superman, you know, you hear Superman's thoughts and he says, the time has come for each of us to face the apocalypse in his own way. Lois, hold on. And then we see um, Ultraman descending towards Superman saying, uh, I'm taking the ultimate fool. I'll spread my new gospel from world to world in flames. Um, which is a hell of a mission statement, uh, which uh, Superman says, you'll have to go through me first. And you know what that means? If we mix our matter and antimatter particles, we annihilate one another. Yeah, but unusually, Ultraman seems to be up for it this time. (laughs) He says, let's commit the ultimate crime, you and me together. I've waited long enough to smash that smug, handsome face of yours to a pulp. And I really like here how they're essentially the same guy, but there's a lot more definition on Ultraman's muscles than on Superman's. Like, he's flexing to try and intimidate Superman. And Superman's just standing there going, and he goes, yeah, I've heard it all before. And, yeah, and I, and I guess uh, in much the same way that Frank Quitely was such a, a master of, of, of drawing Superman with this quiet power, and also drawing Clark Kent and Superman and then looking like the same person, but also completely different mm. just due to body language. Doug Mank does a great job here. Yes. I yeah. think like many, I think a lot of artists would have just exploded upon <laughs> reading this script. Um, <laughs> Doug Mank has absolutely killed it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if his hand's recovered ever, but... <laughs> I don't know. I've seen, I've seen Doug Mank lifting some very, very impressive looking weights on, on his Instagram. That's true, yeah. <laughs> Maybe this script just made him, just made him stronger. <laughs> but before Ultraman can start trying to attack Superman, who's just standing his ground because he's Superman. Captain Marvel appears with a lightning bolt between them and just puts his hands on both of them and just says to Ultraman, yeah, 
play nice. <laughs> it's a great panel, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, Superman is is just utterly calm, takes it all in his stride, even while Ultraman is just kind of like thrashing uh, <laughs> while Marvel's holding him back. Yeah, with one hand, it doesn't look like it's requiring that much effort from Captain Marvel. I don't know if this is... Ultraman may have the same weakness to magic that Superman has, but... <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm assuming that in this logic also, um, it's only when specific matter, antimatter particles meet, because I would assume that Marvel is also made of matter. But he's made of Fawcett Comics matter, which is wacky. You know, oh. it's... <laughs> oh, you're quite right, PJ. Yeah. Um... But uh, yeah, so uh, Superman, you know, points out that he's glad to have Marvel back, but he he uh, can't hold back a full-scale invasion from beyond reality. To which Marvel says, "No, that's our job. Uh, we all had a part to play here, even Billy, even Ultraman." Mm? Yeah, mm. and uh, Marvel kind of hints at Superman about the vision they both saw in the Ultimate Book of. Um, as he refers to them, the space angels, the monitor beings, because they apparently had a weapon to use against Mandrak. Yeah, and Superman says he thinks he understands and that Captain Marvel needs to warn the multiverse. And then he calls to Captain Adam and says, we need you now, come back to us, Alan. Because he means Adam Allen? Adam Allen? Yeah, because... Oh, gosh. Um, is it? Is that Captain Adam's name in the regular... DC Universe. I feel there's an Alan in there. Uh, I think it. I think it's Adam something. I'm not. I can't remember. God, my brain is is fried today. I'm so sorry, everybody. I'm not. I'm not operating P- at peak PJ performance. PJ, PJ, you made the greatest sleepwalker joke ever. <laughs> uh, you know, like don't put yourself down here. Uh, I'm uh, looking up. Looking up. Uh, Alter ego, yeah, Alan Adam, Nathaniel Christopher Adam, two different names, yeah. Ah, there we go. Um, but yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, kind of Captain Adam, Dr. Manhattan, has just been kind of, um, I guess, completely spaced out for a while now. Um, it was, uh, I think it comes up, uh, I think it came up briefly in the previous issue. It also comes up in Multiversity, where Morrison revisits this character and does the weirdest sequel to Watchmen you'll ever read. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Captain Adam needs to use uh, drugs to kind of bring his intelligence down to vaguely human levels. And without his drugs, uh, his mind has been rapidly, rapidly expanding uh, to the point where... Well, he might be a kind of god, PJ. Yes. Well, he says, ah, yes, all I had to do was let go of limits, expectations, and be a new Adam. And suddenly there are, like, hundreds of Captain Adams, all different sort of sizes and and vague shapes. You know, some of them are very broad, some very skinny, tall, short. It's an... This army of Adams starts holding back the the phantom soldiers. Like it's crazy. Uh, with like a, a a kind of cool detachment that mm. makes it seem like it's not even that much of an issue, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And Superman shouts that there are fifty-two worlds in the multiversal superstructure. 
orders Captain Marvel to take the Ultima Thule, get the energy he needs to return to the multiverse, and warn everyone like Paul Revere, tell them Mandrak is coming. <laughs> but wait, but then he says, PJ, I'll do what I can to plug the hole in forever. The hole in forever. Come on, that's great. Com- comics, everybody. <laughs> oh, there's a hole in forever. Wow. This is why. This is what. This is what gets me out of bed, PJ, every morning. <laughs> oh, I read my comics in bed. <laughs> oh my god, plugging the hole in forever. Um, uh, yeah. So then we see uh, Doctor Manhattan, uh, kind of. Uh, uh, I uh, well, a lot of him, uh, kind of building. I, building a machine or yeah like there's just... something like loads of forges and and chimneys and i like the one at the back that just has a big giant captain adam head poking out of it <laughs> that makes me laugh while a couple of others are sort of snuffing out some of the black shadow phantom soldiers and yeah it's <laughs> a new fusion process powered by dualities is what he says and then he says no as he just grabs Ultraman, who looks really angry, but there's nothing he can do about it. He says, there are no dualities. I love those panels. Those are great. Yeah, now, this is where John puts on his kind of, like, Meta Morrison hat. Um, so, like, if you choose to interpret this as literally being Dr. Manhattan and Superman facing down, effectively, like, the concept of, like, anti-creativity in a way yeah like something that is like trying to feed upon and destroy the written universe um this is where superheroes will save us pj literally superheroes will save us from the bomb they will save us from her our worst excesses this is like this is like morrison magic like writ large to the point where i almost can't believe they had the creative freedom to print this in a mainstream book because it yeah. is so wild um but also uh, going back to some of morrison's um earlier work i mean the the invisibles like literally the entire uh uh, uh thesis behind that it, it, such as there is one is that you know the the dualistic universe is is a flaw that the point of uh you know we see everything as us and them good and evil and and in that book morrison's like we have to transcend above it. We have to go to a point where there are no dualities. And mm-hmm. I feel like in as much as it makes sense to Morrison in their personal mythology, I think this is a turning point. I think this is Morrison finding some kind of answer to their own bigger questions in a in a weird way. Or yeah. maybe I'm thinking about this too much. I don't think you can think about a Morrison story too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's very symbolic, PJ. Um, and, you know, as evidenced by the fact that... Um, Dr. Manhattan, uh, Captain Adam, is holding Ultraman in one hand, as he says, as you rightly said, PJ, there are no dualities. Yeah, and then he says, only symmetries, as the Ultima Thule takes off behind him. And Superman now realises, well, that that must be it. That's why Ultraman and I are here. And Ultraman just starts shouting, tries to heat vision Captain Adam in the face. And he says, I'm here to win. I'm going to conquer. You can't be stronger than me. No one's stronger than me. I love this little tantrum he's throwing because it's so ineffective. He's like a baby. And we we have a, a, a very telling line from from uh, Captain Adam who says, What do you know of things? I am the end game of the idea that spawned the likes of you. So if Superman is, well, 
not chronologically, but if Superman is the first true superhero, yeah, it's almost saying that Doctor Manhattan is the last in a way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he says, I must return to my world, but first, Superman, do you dare test my understanding of the nature of reality? And Superman says all he needs is a drop of bleed from the monitor world, refined bleed to save his wife, so he'll take any chance for that. And Ultraman's still struggling in, in uh, Dr. Manhattan's grasp. <laughs> and... <laughs> He says Limbo is, there's nothing you can destroy in Limbo. It's just a living memory, and that's why here, and that's why us. And then Captain Adam is also somehow still in the Ultima Thule talking to Captain Marvel, who's flying the Ultima Thule by... I don't think, I don't remember if we actually saw this last issue, but you sort of pilot it by playing it like a harp? Yes, it's incredible. It's 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 a massive harp, and uh, one would imagine you would need the wisdom of Solomon and the speed of Mercury to do it right. Uh, but Captain Captain Marvel can do that, and uh, they go back to something they they heard from the the kind of ultimate book, which was uh, ultimate evil is ultimate good. The most despised will save the most beloved, which Captain Adam interprets as it's germs. The monitors see us life stories as germs because we are so small, we are despised, but. <laughs> There's something going on here. There's, they have a plan. Yeah. And then he just lets Ultraman go and says, hate crime meets selfless act. As Ultraman flies towards Superman in a rage. And then there's just this immense explosion, like a shockwave of energy in the in between Captain Adam's hands. As he says, I've fused symmetries, enough energy in my hands to broadcast his pure essence to a receiver in a higher dimension. Only Superman can save us now. So by getting Ultraman and Superman to annihilate each other in this huge burst of energy, he's used that energy to actually transport Superman's consciousness somewhere else. Didn't get that when I was reading this last night. I was like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? This is a book you need to read a couple of times, but my God, I am loving this, John. <laughs> and uh, where did he broadcast his mind? Well, PJ... He broadcast it into a, uh, hang on a minute, I've got this here, hang on, a thought robot activated by the tremendous energies unleashed during collisions of fundamental opposing qualities. <laughs> so we return to the giant Superman statue made of kind of uh, reddish metal uh, that we saw at the start of this story, uh, last issue, which stands uh, in the higher realm of... Of the monitors, uh, yeah. kind of uh, in guard, in defense of the orrery, where all the 52 universes kind of sit. And one, he opens his eyes and one is red and one is green. Because remember, this is an issue you were supposed to be reading while wearing your 3D glasses. <laughs> do, you, do you think that was like the symbol? Do you think that was like the signal? It was like if you see Superman with red and green eyes, get out your three D your three D specs, basically. I, maybe I have no idea if it was like the whole issue was printed in three D or if it was just certain points. But yeah, maybe that was a. Oh right, this is the moment. Go on then. The other thing though that sort of I noticed on this page is I feel like there's a subtle difference in the S logo on the statue's chest to the one Doug Monk has been drawing on Superman's oh, yeah. chest. It looks to me a lot closer to the logo Golden Age Superman has in Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Superman from 1939 that is in that is 
the Superman of the Golden Age, the member of the Justice Society who had all those comics in Crisis on Infinite Earths. So I was just wondering if this was a subtle way of saying this is a statue of the original Superman from the very first stories. Because I, I, if, if I understand the origin story of the universe, uh, as outlined by Morrison in these two <laughs> issues, uh, it, it would seem that the original Monitor Mind was a pure living void. Uh, it became infected with stories, stuck its head into it, recoiled in horror, and kind of built the the this Superman robot based on what it saw. So mm. that would kind of make sense, PJ, if what it had experienced was a kind of iconic, pure, golden, original version of Superman. Yeah, yeah. Just a nice little detail in there that maybe isn't that. Maybe it is just slightly different S on the robot, but <laughs> that's my interpretation. And I feel like nothing in this comic is an accident. I just like that um, when Monica built this giant Superman robot, uh, it did at least paint the costume. Yes. Cause, yeah. cause, because, PJ, if, if this fellow was red metal all over, you know who he'd look like, right? Oh, uh... What, my brain's going Adam 1. Adam 1, yes. <laughs> Who was also a giant robot built ages ago to stand on the edge of the universe and defend against things outside it. I was going to say I'm surprised Zillow didn't mention him, but he was killed by Mageddon, so never mind. Although I'll tell you what's fun. In the map of the multiverse, which Morrison uh, co-produced, and along with an artist whose name I can't remember, but it's based on Morrison's, Morrison's mythology of the DC universe. Um, oh no, Wonder World! Wonder World is on it. <laughs> Wonder World is just beyond the source wall, yeah, orbit, orbiting the curve of space time, which is I kind won- of fun. I wonder if they repopulated it, like the moat, and no, the moat died as well. It was just the glimmer. He was the only one left, wasn't he? I wonder if um, Wonder World has ever popped up again in a DC property. I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if it had, and I'd be surprised if it hadn't. Yeah, it's kind (laughs) of obscure, even by DC standards. Yeah, but it's so cool. I tell you what else is cool, PJ. Speaking of 3D, uh, Superman reaches out through a panel to to literally gaze out of 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 the comic space he's inhabiting to view Limbo. Yeah. like a letterbox in 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 five dimensional space, uh, you can see. Oh my god! Pete. Again, it's very Animal Man esque. This, where, yeah. this this page is the first page we've looked at in this two part series where I've gone. I wish I had three D for this. <laughs> well, I guess the sad part, yeah, because yeah, because because uh, you're reading the digital version, Pete. Yeah, I'm I'm on I'm on the Kindle app downloaded from the comiXology amazon thing and i'm reading the trade paperback version which as far as i'm aware because because there doesn't appear to be any evidence of it has not reprinted the weird stereoscopic 3d stuff which i think was originally done in the floppy yeah this yeah could be wrong they may even have only have been limited edition versions of it i'm not sure i we and we need to ask Joe Glass. I'm sure he bought the 3D version of it. I'm sure, I was living with him at the time, and I'm sure he bought the 3D versions. I didn't borrow them to read or anything, but I remember him saying something about buying the the 3D Superman issues. Mm. Yeah, Joe, wherever you are, we, we need you. Well, I, I can just message him. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So hopefully we'll get we'll get an answer from our our cub reporter Joe I'm, Glass. Do you know what? I'm going to message you. You talk. I'm going to message him right now. This is great. This is great. okay. Okay. I'm I'm uh, I'm a talking. Uh, so yeah. So as Superman's uh, kind of senses return to him, uh, he kind of opens his eyes. Giant, giant, rusted eyelids kind of opening. And when I say giant, I mean I mean we're really talking on a scale where conventional distances break down we are outside the universe within the monitor world which has grown up around the multiverse as part of this fiction infection which has infected the monitor and um yeah it's it it has a kind of incredible weight to it this moment like you maybe i'm overselling it but it, it does feel like suddenly we've stepped into a greater realm of mythology and, and Superman reaches out and says, From a direction that has no name comes a sound like breathing. The whole continuum trembles as if cradled, and there's a presence, as if I could reach out and touch something immense beyond understanding. And he reaches out through this kind of letterbox in space, and um, we see Limbo floating outside the story in the gutter, in the white void of the page, which you know, is the monitor as we're discovering. And, um, and, uh, yeah, this is very, very, very much, uh, like Animal Man, uh, Morrison's run in, run in the 80s, where, where we saw, uh, Buddy, Animal Man, his consciousness expanded so much that he could literally step out of comic panels into <laughs> a, a higher universe. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy stuff, but it's great. It is great. <laughs> now that I understand it better second time around. God, I was tired when I read this last night. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a lot going on at the other moment, yeah. PJ. Uh, but we also see that uh, just as Superman is very big and the monitors are very big, uh, this Superman robot is even bigger. He is he is towering over this monitor city. Yeah, and you get a nice panel of, of like this from behind Superman of, of, of him reaching through the comic panel. Um, and he says, he says, scale, space, time, everything is different now. Which, <laughs> yeah, it's so it's it's brilliant. And he's he just then starts sort of walking on these weird Kirby esque steps that are appearing in front of him to be confronted by a monitor that might be Zillow, but also might be a different monitor. I'm not sure. Oh, that's a good point because I I'd assume this was Zilla. But yeah, again, I don't know, PJ. Maybe this goes back into the whole element of her being a sprite or something. Maybe she never actually came down into the universes and just kind of like broadcast a version of herself down there. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But she mentions Dax Novu's final gift before they lost him was a living weapon, the Radiant One's greatest invention. A thought robot capable of adapting instantly to counter any future threat, which is what Superman is now inhabiting. Yes, and Dax Novu being the first monitor mm, that like we the, we read about in the Infinite Book last time. Yeah, the 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 kind of like first instance in which monitor became singular or became uh, a being who who ventured into the multiverse, was infected by it, and then withdrew basically. Yeah. Uh and and uh yeah, and then we get this uh we 
you know, we, we, we turn the page to this double page spread of Superman walking through a, I don't know, like a, like a mausoleum, like a, like a crumbling It's graveyard. a cemetery, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wondered if like some of the things that Monk has drawn on this page, like the, the crouched figure with the like metal ornate metal wings in the bottom left corner or the head that's on the spikes of the cemetery gate on the right. If they're supposed to be anything specific or just random decoration, I don't know, but <laughs> mm. I, yeah, I, 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 I can't say I recognize anything here other than, uh, this is all just metal as hell. Like the sky is red, <laughs> yeah. the, the trees are rotting. There's like a kind of gothic weight to it all. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, Superman, you hear his thoughts and he says, uh, this is their world. I've woken up in a body of pure thought. The blank, the nil, the gone. This is where form and meaning surrender to the overvoid. This is pretty big concepts going on here. Yeah. And then... There's a monitor in front of him that is not uh, Zillow. 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 Yeah. Uh, but I also don't think it's the monitor from the previous page because that one was wearing a hat. Yeah, this, I, I forget her name, but she has, oh, well, she introduced herself. Sorry, I do apologize. Ouija Dell. Mm. Uh, but she she has turned up in the main pages of Final Crisis, I want to say. Okay. Okay, I don't remember that. <laughs> nobody, nobody does, PJ. But it's she fine. says that the monitors have five thousand five hundred and fifty-five different words for nothing. Follow me through the funeral gardens of Yiveroth, and I'll teach you some of them. I am Ouija Dell, Monitrix Earth Designate Six. And she says that she was Nixuotan's lover a long time ago, exiled to the germ worlds within the Orrery, and she is sad. <laughs> she is sad because their world is dying. Uh, only be they didn't really exist in the first sense, if that makes sense. Uh, in so much as anything exists. They used to be nothing. They were a fiction that grew out of nothing. Now they're kind of slowly degrading and returning to nothing so yeah and she she thinks that they're beautiful though and she doesn't want to lose all the beautiful things that they've they've gained and uh, as superman follows her and he's he's gigantic and she's a tiny figure leading the way he passes uh, a big uh, open grave with a, a blank uh, grave gravestone at his head yeah yes and she says the last day has come if you have woken he too is near the enemy and uh, you know she opens a door, and there are there are more uh, more monitors there, including one who might be Zillow Valor or just somebody wearing a, a similar a, a similar headdress. I don't know. Yep. Um, Superman, you know, being Superman, seems to be taking this relatively well. Uh, says, <laughs> "I'm walking among primal forms in a fundamental world." Yeah, and one of the monitors says, "The most despised will save the best beloved." And then Ouija Dell saying, you know, Nick Wotan was sent to die unjustly in the germ worlds. The scapegoat in a dark design. And another older monitor, because you've got the grey hair, says, how can our judgment be wrong? Nothing makes sense anymore. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're, we're kind of skirting lightly off some uh, kind of main final crisis plot stuff mm. here. Yeah. Um, I think the kind of main takeaway is that, like, 
they're this I don't know the monitors by their nature don't make a lot of sense and I think that's kind of it's almost like they're they're a they're not a great story like if a story formed uh now their world is coming undone so I don't know what they thought is certain isn't anymore so I've just had a message from our mutual friend Joe Glass here we go uh, and he says, yeah, I really liked it. I mean, it was just a gimmick, really, and didn't really add anything, but it was pretty well done. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> I really hope they didn't make Doug Mank draw the whole thing twice. I hope uh, they just applied a filter to it. Yeah, that would be... Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so the Monixes are having a bit of a, a, a kind of mid mid midlife crisis like a uh mid uh eternity crisis perhaps uh, as superman points out that um uh there is a ton of uh, bleed this incredible substance uh flowing uh under their feet uh being siphoned away towards a, a grim basalt monument and um i have to say this is where it perhaps could have been a little clearer in the previous issue but i think we we did see this thing briefly when we were learning about the monixes there's like a kind of circular lock on 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 the monolith which has a load of symbols lighting up around it but it was kind of like a blink and you'll miss it moment yeah yeah i like the um the transition sorry at the end of the the page with um with the monitors on where you've got them like sorry i was looking at the message from joe at the same time so <laughs> but you have like the tiny monitors in the corner of the panel next to superman on the ground and then it moves over to the close-up of the doors which have blood spatters on them but it's like the monitors red cloaks have become the blood spatters because the door is the same color as the it's, it's just a lovely little touch that i enjoy oh, yeah pj you're right i'd never noticed that before that's very well done um yeah, and so so a lot a lot starts happening quite quickly here, and um, I think the best way to enjoy it is just to kind of like strap in and enjoy the ride. Uh, yeah, because you know the moni- I, I don't know a lot of concepts are being thrown around, and you might be trying to wonder, you might be trying to like grasp onto it and, and work out what what's actually happening here, but Superman seems to have picked got got. Superman seems to know what's going on. He's basically realized that, like, in a nutshell, this might be the ultimate conflict, or or this might be literally the very concept of saving something. I, I don't know. It's getting it's getting quite primal now. Mm, yeah, yeah, and the <laughs> the the monitors sort of start talking about how they shunned their. The enemy, they they locked him in the pit in the sepulchre of the abyss. I always love it when the word sepulchre comes up in things. It's one of my favourite words. I'm glad you <laughs> can say it because I, I every time I, I can read it, I can't say it. Sepulchre. Se- sepulchre. Se- <laughs> um, and yeah, Superman realises that the entire multiverse is the prey of celestial parasites, vampire gods. <laughs> yeah, so... Superman, you know, gazes at the orrery, which is this this giant structure that contains all the parallel universes, and he's like, "It is this represents everything I have ever known or cared for. This is literally the point of my existence. I'm Superman. I save things, 
and this lot are just kind of draining it dry. Uh, even to the point where we see uh, a dude who's uh, who uh, I, I think also pops up in Final Crisis. He's a he's a monitor, but he's like hanging upside down from these these worlds, and he's got big shiny teeth. PJ, so I have shiny teeth, but pointy, sharp teeth is what I meant to say. <laughs> he's a Dracula. And, He's a Drac. He's, he's he's a cosmic Dracula, and he's got kind of uh, glowing eyes, and and yes, it, it, by its very definition, it is vampiric. Uh, they're feeding on the on creation, and um, this is the final crisis, as he says. He he said the title, PJ. Woohoo! So it was all part of a dark ploy. If you've been reading Final Crisis, you would you would have you you kind of know what was going on. Anyway, all that really matters is. Uh, the this guy goes the master my brother wakes so something big is coming uh oh uh oh and then and then again really evocative horror language here massive blind doors creak and yawn wide this is it as these two black doors open and a voice that i would imagine if he'd still been alive and this was a film vincent price would have done <laughs> <laughs> it says the hour has come night falls across creation uh, to which Superman just says Mandrak yep. and he says the, the first outcast rises from reeking shadows of neglect, self-loathing and rage, speaking my name as I speak his and we turn the page and we finally meet Mandrak who is He's a vampire. Well, he's the vampire, PJ. Basically, he's uh, emaciated and there's there's like so thin, so very thin. He needs a pie. Um, he needs a blood pie. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> and wearing a cape, and he's got the big vampire teeth and the monitor hairstyle, <laughs> and he's just holding like a a capsule of bleed in front of him which um again i i uh going way back to the days of uh the authority uh over in the wildstorm universe which is where the concept of the bleed originated with uh warren ellis and brian hitch uh i do wonder if they, they they've only ever had one filter for the bleed and they've just been applying it over and over and over again because it is a, it's a digital effect and it's always looked the same every time I've seen it. So I get weird kind of pangs of nostalgia when I see the bleed, basically. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Mandrak says he's got the elixir, that which cannot be held or bottled or consumed. And all you have to do is take it from me. Yeah, such great villain delivery there, PJ. I, 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 I approve. Well, um, you know, sometimes the language just takes you over, doesn't it? So you might be asking yourself at this point: Does Superman know Mandrak? Does Superman have any history with Mandrak? Does Mandrak I was have... not, but I feel like you're about to tell me. <laughs> well, I, I think the point is, PJ. Uh, no, not really. There isn't any. I, I, I guess the point here is that, as Superman says. Uh, I'm inside a self-assembling hyper-story. The point is, think about it in terms of symbolism. Superman is Superman. Uh, Mandrak is a vampire. Just think about them in broad concepts. <laughs> Superman is an avatar of the sun. 
uh, Mandrak, a vampire, is is burned by the sun. I think Morrison probably went to a deep magical space here and thought to himself, thought to himself, what is the the ultimate, the ultimate anti Superman? What is the ultimate villain of of Superman? Who is the ultimate savior? It would probably be a vampire, a cosmic vampire. So, yeah, we're we're in the realm of gogs and mythology here. Yeah. Yeah, and Mandrak is is as big as this giant Superman statue robot thing, but also there's something ephemeral about him. He seems to be able to sort of fade in and out. His his legs are there and then they're not. Um but he he blasts at Superman with what he describes as poison from his eyes. And Superman just because he's Superman and he's to save lives, turns and shouts for the other monitors to find shelter, and then turns back and blasts Mandrak with heat vision just right through the torso. And blood goes everywhere. Uh, to which Superman is like, uh, you know, Superman just gets what's going on because here this is this is a story, and Superman's like, I have I have never known such perfect certainty. This is my reason to be. My purpose is simply to stop him. Uh, and uh, Mandrak lashes out with the blood of fifty-two universes, the heat of ten billion suns, <laughs> and uh, Superman recoils in pain as like lightning crackles uh, over him. Yeah. And Mandrax sort of takes to the sky, hovers above Superman, there's energy coursing out of his eyes and his hands. He says, I've waited to meet you, to destroy you at last. Your cosmic armour is no match for my eternal power. And suddenly, PJ, I'm just flicking back through the book, we are right back where we started uh, last issue. So that was the flash forward to this moment. Of course. Yeah, I... I uh... I haven't got the first issue downloaded onto my uh, iPad anymore, so I had not checked that. <laughs> uh, I've got to say, like, Doug Mank just killing it here. Oh, draws um, the hell out of it. Yeah. Uh, Mandrak uh, blasts Superman with beams of, like, searing white energy from his eyes and goes, Tell me, Superman, what shall we engrave upon your tombstone? There. Can you hear it, Superman? So small, so far away. The sound of the space between now and her final heartbeat. And Superman is just like fried by this blaze of, of, of energy. And you just see like tiny word coming out of his mouth, Lois. Yeah. And they're, they're by the, the empty grave now and the, the blank tombstone on the, on the ground. And Superman or the, the giant Superman armor robot thing is, is on the floor with bleed pouring out of it and Mandrak starts bragging you know the sound of you failing everyone you promised to save my destroyers are targeting your universe for sterilization even as I speak crawl into the tomb that awaits you and be done and I've got to say like uh you know he started monologuing so I think I think Mandrak is already doomed PJ uh because he 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 missed his moment um and uh, uh, Zillow Valor steps forward, and I guess she was here all along. <laughs> God knows it's hard to keep track of the monitors. And she says, you're using us to believe you into existence. But deep within the germ worlds, I found a better story. One created to be unstoppable, indestructible. The story of a child rocketed to Earth from a doomed planet. Oh, we all know those words. <laughs> 
And this is where I get shivers because I know this stuff is very personal to Morrison. It's, it's touched upon in like Flex Mentalo, but just the idea that like Morrison was terrified growing up of the bomb, of mm. the concept of the bomb, more than an actual atomic bomb, but the idea that something big and terrifying would come and destroy us all and you'd be powerless. And what does a child turn to when faced with a fear like that? It's Superman. The superheroes. That is what superheroes do. It's avataristic. It's big. It's real. It's magical. This is what <laughs> Superman is for, PJ. <laughs> he was built to punch a cosmic vampire. Superman is there to inspire hope. That is what he does. And if that means punching a cosmic vampire, then God <laughs> ram it. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Mandrak isn't having this, so like all villains, he incinerates uh, one of his minions. Uh, so, although he kind of regrets it, uh, he so he's killed Zillow Valor, almost seems to regret it, and uh, the uh, the monitors start shouting at him, saying like, "How could you? You know, she she loved you, she gave her all to save you, and now look." Um, and Superman, you know, even this big robot hyperdimensional Superman, uh, he's had enough. And he screams, Mandrak. Yeah. And leaps at him. <laughs> Says there's nothing left. The inexorable logic of a living story drives us to its conclusion. And Mandrak is typically villainous about it. And he's like, well, this is your fault. <laughs> Me killing her, that's your fault. Uh, uh, and the camera pulls back and we just get like a a nuclear blast of energy. Like this is how hard they're they're hitting each other. This is like the force of their... Yeah, of of the, uh, it's just like, and Morrison just like waxing poetical here, like, um, you know, we fight in the ruins of utopia, in the wreckage of dreams, in the unsolvable debris of museums, galleries, unimaginable masterpieces of art and architecture. We fight in the black floodlights of an eternal last sunset. Civilization falls, and still we fight, and you get another glorious panel of. Superman punching Mandrak in the stomach while Mandrak's claws rake across the side of Superman's torso. Um, yeah, Mandrak is still feels very malleable here. He's very bendy and and almost shapeless in certain ways, and Superman is solid. It's, I like also that it's a stupid thing, but I like also that Mandrak has a cape. Yeah. Oh it, yeah. It, it, it just brings this down back back down into the realm of superheroes again. Yeah. Um. Oh, good God, like, and just some of these phrases, it's just insane. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Superman continues to fight Mandrak. Uh, it is in many ways the final battle. Uh, and Superman is just positioning himself between Mandrak and the multiverse. Uh, to which Mandrak, Mandrak kind of screams, let me at my prey. And Superman is, 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 is you know, kind of broken and, and scarred like his... Um, his robotic body is taking great damage, and he just says, "You will never get past me." And you can see that, like every word, is kind of laboured. Yeah, it's it's pure Superman. He's he's like, "I will fight you to the end, whatever it takes." And he says, "I vow to preserve life, no matter what." But somewhere inside, I hear the voice of Ultraman, ruthless, pragmatic. <laughs> And Superman reaches out and grabs a like a like a spear, which, uh, an odd an odd spear which is in the ground. I uh, I don't think we've seen this up until now. 
No, I'm not sure. It's just sort of there. But it's fine. It's what the story needs. <laughs> it's just, Yes, you're right, PJ. It's a self-assembling story. <laughs> and Superman spears Mandrak through the heart with this 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 giant golden spear and we get like a just for a moment like a halo of gold around superman's head and it's very uh it's very biblical it's mm. very like um joseph wrestling an angel which superman has done it's very like slaying of the dragon sort of thing yeah yeah and ultraman's voice is saying Mandrak is the opposite of life and then, but Mandrax still, he's like, you've, you've stabbed me, but is that it? Is that all you've got? And starts laughing, and Superman says, try this. You're part of the monitor that felt contaminated by the multiverse. Isn't it obvious? You were Dax Novu. You were the best of them. And just this immense blast of heat vision comes out of Superman's face and pile drives into Mandrax through his torso, forcing him backwards off a crumbling ledge and forcing him to drop the the capsule of bleed he was carrying, and Mandrak falls into the void, defeated. And, yeah, and is, is, is absorbed back into the, into the overvoid. Uh, the mind of Monitor engulfs him. And, uh, yeah, and, and now, like, Superman's uh, robot bo- body is, is kind of ruined, um, but he, he, he still has some, something still left in him. And uh, he kind of touches the orrery, Kind of, you know, looking at the worlds contained within, and um, and uh, and yeah, and uh, one of the monikers says, "Oh, that was his name, Ogama." One of the monikers says that, like, you know, the that evil monikers who we briefly saw, Ogama, he'll be exiled, cast down into into the worlds where he can do no harm, and he says, "You're blind, wounded beyond repair, and yet you help us." Yeah, and Superman just says, I need you to protect my world, my universe. The elixir she promised, Zillow Valor, did she lie? Because there's still that worry that, you know, Ultraman put in Superman's head in the first issue that, you know, she's lying to us. She's not being honest with us at all. Yeah, and, I mean, Superman has literally saved all of all of existence, Um but he's still got to save his wife, mm. and uh, yeah, and and the bitter irony is that while he has earned the bleed, he has the bleed he wanted. Uh, it can only be held or bottled by the mo- by the monikers. So while he has the elixir, he will never be able to take it back to his world. Yeah, uh, but Superman just says, "I'll find a way." Her courage saved you all. There's something about stories that you should know. <laughs> He starts engraving on the tombstone as he says that Mandrak asked what words he'd have inscribed, and he says, only these, let them be a warning. And then, like, the the Superman robot just fails. It just... And, and he sort of holds up the elixir of bleed, and then you get this panel of it kneeling before its gravestone as a monitor who's like, what have I just seen? Is led away by two other monitors, which is a hilarious panel, and I appreciate the moment of levity. And uh, yeah, and and Superman talks about you know uh, he feels like he's falling, burning, his ears are ringing, and, and we see uh, Ultraman and Superman kind of separated once more, kind of literally falling down into the multiverse, uh, and they're decelerating in a shower of discordant bleed. So this red trailing off them. He says the only thing that can save Lois's life. 
the elixir that can't be bottled or held or contained, exploding all around me like thunder and scars. Yeah. And we cut back to the ultimate fool, PJ. Yeah, where Captain Marvel has found what he was looking for, which is a fragment of the Rock of Eternity that, once he restores it, will end the time crisis that's affecting his world, as he tells Captain Adam, but Captain Adam just doesn't seem to be there. Uh, and I've got to say, I think that a lot of that time crisis stuff is referenced in the Captain Marvel issue of Multiversity that Morrison picks up on. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's quite a fun little story, actually. Hmm. Uh, but of course, Mandrak might be defeated, but the Destroyer is not. So, uh, hello, everyone. We're between universes again. <laughs> and uh, yeah, reality blitzing missiles are evolving into position on the black carapace of Mandrak's Destroyer. So, yeah, PJ, it looks like a job for Superman. <laughs> yeah, well, Overman is flying towards the ship uh, to stop it. And then who's that flying alongside him? It is only Superman. Uh, so we see Superman, Overman and Captain Marvel flying towards uh, the threat. Um, Superman's thoughts tell us that I don't speak, I don't speak, Using international sign language, I explain why. <laughs> I love that he just knows international sign language, and also so do Overman and Captain Marvel. <laughs> of course they do. They're Superman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and together they just, you know, tear the hell out of these ships, basically. Yeah. And, yeah, they, they just fly through them. Like, each of them takes one, flies through it, and it's done. <laughs> they, they explode all. Yeah. It's great. But it's not over, PJ. Oh, no, it's not. No, we it's cut not. to, uh, I believe, Limbo again. Mm. I think yeah. it's Limbo. Where something crash lands on the ground. Oh, it's Ultraman, and he is angry, kneeling in a crater, smoke pouring off him, as a monitor approaches him. But it's not... It's one of the vampire monitors. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is Ogama who yeah. was kind of Mandrax's agent among the uh again it, it, a lot of a lot of the monitor stuff is kind of blinking you miss it um some of this was in final crisis but uh all we need to know is that he's an he's a he's a lesser vampire in service of Mandrax basically yeah and he he tells ultraman to drink deep of the bitter cup of Mandrax let his blood flow in your veins as he as energy comes out of his hands into ultraman's head and he says and when all within you is dead Arise my first night of terror, my vampire Superman. And yeah, Ultraman's got glowing red eyes and fangs now. And uh, Ogama uh, has turned into Mandrak. Yep. So I, I guess like Mandrak has become him, or however this cosmic vampirism works. Uh, and Ultraman is a vampire, which is... Uh, so Ultraman has had a religious epiphany and has now also become a vampire. So... That's a good day, I suppose. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, good day for him, perhaps. Uh, and we, we zoom in on Mandrak uh, as kind of like shadowy figures with like wings surround him. Yeah. He says, and he goes like, the whole of existence in a single book. So he's holding the, the Ultima Thule, I believe. Yes. Think, no, not sorry, not the, the Ultima No, the infinite, the infinite book he's holding. The infinite and... book. I do apologize. Yes. Yeah, so he's, he's reading, I don't know, Lord of the Rings now. It's a little confusing. I, I think the colour coding here is a little is a little confusing because previously the ultimate book has looked blue. Yeah, and now it's yellow. 
yeah, so it is a little un- it was a little unclear the first few times I read this, but uh, yeah, he's holding the ultimate book and he says, "When I return, you'll be at your weakest, Superman. When all hope is lost, then I will come with armies of millions, and we shall talk again." Yeah. And then we turn the page and we're back in Metropolis where Superman sort of reappears still in between heartbeats and his thoughts tell us nothing can hold or contain bleed, they said. They were wrong. Superman can. And he kisses Lois and the bleed that was within him is now in her and it saves her life. And it's a beautiful moment. And uh, very much... I've got to say, like um, uh, the the JLA story with Scarrow, the Scar Conqueror. Yeah. Just the idea of a, a child's belief of what Superman can do. This is impossible. It can't be done. But Superman can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and and Lois is Lois is awake again, and she she's 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 fine, and uh, you know she she talks about having like a, a really kind of weird dream. Uh, yeah, she she dreamt that she saw Superman's grave. Uh, but she read the inscription, and that's when she knew everything was going to be okay. And uh, and Superman just gives her a hug. Yeah, she says that's when she woke up, and there you were. And then she basically says, "Now get out! I need to write the story down because <laughs> she's still Lois Lane." <laughs> and uh, oh god, yeah, it's so stupid, but god, it's amazing. Uh, so Superman goes to the door, goes to shut it, and says, "Can't wait to hear it, Lois." And then we get a close-up of Superman shutting the door, kind of looking straight out of the page of us. Gives us a cheeky little wink and says, I can't wait to hear it. And as we turn the page, PJ, <laughs> we see Superman's gravestone, which reads, To be continued. <laughs> that is amazing. And then just quickly, this is where we get the credits as well, finally. Writer Grant Morrison, pencils Doug Monk, inks Christian Alamy with Tom Nguyen, Drew Grassi and Derek Fridolfs, Fridolfs, sorry, colour David Barron, letters Ken Lopez. Um, yeah, those are the words I want on my gravestone, I think. Oh, my God. It's... I... It's... I love this, PJ. Like, it's really stupid. It's kind of beautiful. Um, it's surprisingly moving. Um, yeah. Yeah, love it to bits. Me too. It's... I. I yeah. I think once you've read both issues, it's kind of impossible not to love that. Um, I think issue one on its own, I was a little bit, oh, okay, I'm not entirely sure what's going on here, but okay. Uh, but now having read both issues, I get it. I do get that one. Superman Beyond is is amazing. The, um, and particularly this ending, it's quite interesting because, like, in a way... This is like the second time that Morrison has killed Superman. Even though, even though Superman doesn't die, mm. just just the the idea of like um, Superman's gravestone and what would it say? Uh, it's a bit like the end of All Scar Superman. It's like yeah. you know we we see Superman uh, trapped in the sun, laboring on something great, and uh, I don't know. I just like like this idea that like. Two instances in which "quote unquote" Superman is maybe like gone, maybe in like a maybe only in a metaphorical sense, but like in one version, Superman works for millennia, uh, doing great things in the sun, 
to protect us all so he can emerge later as Superman Prime or the ultimate Superman. Hmm. Uh, and then here, even when Superman is dead, his gravestone is just to be continued, which is like, is everything which is wonderful and weird and stupid about comics, like, it will always be continued. Superman will never actually die because for better or for worse, there will always be Superman stories and somewhere Superman is always saving the world, which is quite, it's quite a powerful kind of thing, really. Yeah. And sometimes people get those Superman stories wrong. Um, Zack Snyder. <laughs> but, you know, the true Superman will always, always return. It's like the end of... Um, I didn't watch a lot of the series, but um, have you ever seen the final episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold? I can't remember which one the final... I think I have, but... I, I That's can't... where the characters are aware that the show is being cancelled. Right. Yes. Yes. I do and remember that one. Good grief. Like if you if you haven't if you haven't seen it everyone, I'd suggest going going and looking up just the ending, because I'm sure you could find it on YouTube, but just it, it's got one of the most ridiculously powerful endings because it's been quite a silly show. It was meant to be quite kind of light hearted. Batman oh, it's got Batmite in it, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and the ending is literally Batman turning to talk to the viewer and basically I, I'm horribly paraphrasing it, but basically saying that like the show is ending, but don't worry because, like, wherever there's evil, there will be me or something like that. Like, I, I will always be there. So I was like, I was like, oh wow, it's kind of like this weird mythical. It's, it's surprisingly powerful for a kids cartoon. Like, yeah, go go look it up. It'll it'll be much better than anything I could do to to explain it here. I, I said just watch all of the Batman: The Brave and the Bold. I think it's brilliant. It's a great show. It's it's a light-hearted version of Batman, but there are light-hearted versions of Batman. That is fine. Stop whining about it. Uh, but <laughs> Brave and the Bold is great and genuinely features one of my very favourite interpretations of Aquaman. Oh yes, yes, he is show. hilarious. <laughs> good shout, yeah. Uh, PJ, um, what what do you think? What do you what, what do you think? Oh, that yeah, it's superb. I do love it now that I've now that I've read both issues. Um, reading issue two informs a lot of issue one. Mm. Uh, you know, that's a story that I think works better as just reading it all in one go. I think, but yeah, I think it is it is superb stuff and almost almost makes Final Crisis worth it. It's it, it, yeah. I mean, like, it, I I think the the big oddity is, of course, its place in Final Crisis. Yeah. Because, um, you know, if you're if you're reading Final Crisis, uh, things get pretty weird towards the end, and you know, you think maybe, oh, this is about Darkseid, maybe, and then out of the blue, Mandrak turns up again. Mm. And and I and uh, I think if you hadn't read Superman Beyond, which I don't know, you might be thinking, "What the hell is going on?" I did think that. I, I yeah. do remember thinking that because I hadn't read Superman Beyond. I I just read the main Final Crisis series, and um, a couple of tie-ins here and there. But as I say, the only ones I liked were the Legion of Superheroes ones. Yeah, and 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 it's a shame, really, because Morrison clearly. Um, really likes this kind of primal battle, if you will, between like Superman and Mandrak, like the symbolism of it. And it and it's kind of weird that it's ultimately resolved in this weird little coda to Final Crisis that really only takes a like 
what I'm looking at now, one, two, three, four, five, six pages. Yeah. It's it's a bit weird. Because I think on its own, I love I I love what we just read. Like I thought it's 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 high Morrison bizarreness and I, and I I love every minute of it. Yeah. No, it was it was really good to visit it and actually I think it's one of those things that's improved by going through it granularly like this with someone else. So you can point out to each other, this bit might be this. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, that is, yes, okay. And I think, weirdly, that's, I think that's one of the best things we've looked at to have looked at in this format, if that makes sense. Mm. No, I agree. Because I, I, I think I, I noticed, I've read this story so many times, and I, and I think I, I've noticed stuff in this particular read-through with you, PJ, that I, I completely passed over mm. uh, prior. I mean, that's kind of like, um, it's often like a criticism of Morrison's work, isn't it? They, I, it's, right, it's interesting that you said that like the second issue completely contextualizes the first one. Uh, you know, with a lot of Morrison's like longer form storytelling, people often say like it really makes sense when you read the graphic novel. But mm. issue by issue, you are kind of left a little stumped sometimes. Yeah, I don't... And, you know, there are things that they've done which aren't like, look at DC 1 million. It doesn't matter if you read it all in one go or in parts. It's just not quite what you would like it to be. Mm. But I think in this instance, Superman Beyond, I think that is a valid point. I'm not going to say criticism because I don't want to say that it's a bad thing to have the complete story to understand the first part you know, sometimes reading something, then revisiting it is is fantastic, a fantastic thing to do. So I'm not going to say that's a criticism, but I do see that as a valid point in this instance. And I think um, the first issue uh, is is very much like a kind of um, a, a, a wave of concepts kind of coming yeah. at you. Yeah. Uh, it's doing a lot of setup, and um, it's, it's a, the first issue is a bit more of a roller coaster because yes, for sure. Uh, I, I, you know, I very much enjoy it, but it's, it's really like a kind of just strap into the weirdness and 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 see what happens. And then by the time the second issue comes along, you're a bit more set up in in, in this really really weird world that this story takes place in. And, and then the stakes are actually a bit more straightforward here. Like I get what's going on. Um, so yeah, so I, I think in a weird way, like the the second issue has a has a has a bigger kind of emotional resonance to it which um is i don't want to say easier to follow but you there is a there is as weird as it gets there is a clear through line in terms of plot here yeah yeah i agree with that I, and you know as i say i read it last night with a non-functioning brain you need to be in a state where you can engage yourself or have someone helping you engage <laughs> to read this <laughs> properly because i just did not get what was happening the first time i read it with where captain adam let Superman and Ultraman meet, and then suddenly Superman's a big robot. I was like, what? <laughs> when I read this last night, but going through it again today, obviously I'm like, oh, okay, I see what's happened. I get it now. But yeah, so it is, it's a it's a very thoughtful issue for sure. Um, again, that's a good thing. And once more, it's Morrison using Superman to comment on and play with the ideas of stories. You see, and an interesting question would be, is is that what the audience wanted because 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 i enjoy this but like you know are, are, do you think there's a significant portion of people who read this and were like what the hell why can't superman just be you know i don't say foiling bank robberies but you know what i mean like 
doing more kind of grounded stuff. Possibly. I think it's hard to say. I mean, you and I are people who, not just as, as writers, but just generally, we like to know how a story is made, how it's constructed, what's behind the story. We're happy to take, you know, we'll enjoy a story and then we'll want to dive into it and go, right, what what went into this? How did mm. this come to be? But there are people who have no interest in that side of things. And I think maybe for people like that, a story about stories like this or, well, any un- number of other things by Morrison and other writers um, is probably not going to land quite in the same way and and maybe is just slightly baffling and possibly, you know, inaccessible. I guess I guess the really weird thing is that it, it it's it, you get a richer experience out of it if you happen to have a passing familiarity with Morrison's own mythology. Yeah. Um. Again, a very very weird position for a creator. I don't think there's any other creator really doing that, or was a or you know or was allowed to do that because, you know, um, I think I think if you um go on to read. Uh, Morrison's Green Lantern, which came a good many years later, mm. uh, I was very surprised to see that Morrison picks up the um, the vampire scuff. Oh, okay. Uh, there's references to Mandrak in that as well. So, again, like, what other creator working today would be allowed to, I don't know, pick up a thread from a story from a like a decade earlier? Uh, like complete... two reboots back <laughs> yeah yeah with like a completely different uh hero you know it's it's um it's bizarre um and i guess i don't know it's it, it maybe it's maybe it's a lot to ask of a, a general audience to say you have to do your homework to yeah get this yeah maybe but i think there's that you know i i like it when creators do like one for the general public and then one for the fans you know (laughs) that's fine i'm happy when creators do that even if i'm not one of those people who gets the one for the fans i'm like yeah but for the fans who do love it i'm really happy that they've got it and i think ultimately i would always rather see a creator uh swinging for the fences yes you know uh, i i want to see people aiming high and then if the result is a bit of a mess sometimes so be it but you know, at least they tried. So I'm yes. always I'm always going to be on the side of people trying something a little weird. I think in this instance, I actually think this really succeeded. I, Same. I I I love it for what it is, and and also like a lot for two issues. Like it's incredibly. It dense. is. It is. I noticed they were both slightly longer issues. Like I think it does end up almost being three normal sized issues in length. Almost. Mm. Like it was. It's 31 pages each. I think something like that. So what's that? 62. So yeah, that's just under three three normal issues. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I guess it would have to be. I, I, I didn't really notice in the moment, but yeah, like, uh, you know, it feels packed for two thirty-two issues. It'd be almost impossible with a standard length issue to do this. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I tell you what, PJ. One thing I should mention very quickly, lest lest he think we forget, uh, we've had a, a lovely email from Chris for Monica Murphy. Hi, Chris. Who who knows may have even been in the background of one of these scenes as a as a monitor, uh, who uh, very kindly writes in to say, uh, "I'm glad you're back on a Morrison story. I have great affection <laughs> for DC in the 1990s, but my heart is with Gmos." Fair enough. Uh, and yes, I I think uh, like I said, uh, one for the fans, one for I don't know one. One for the other what? I don't know. Yeah, one for the fans, gonna, one for Chris. One for Chris. We're gonna we're gonna try and flip flop. I think we're gonna a we're gonna bit, bounce yeah. back and forth. Um, but yeah, I I agree 
uh, wholeheartedly. It's very nice to be back on a Morrison story. Um, but yes, but uh, you know, to, to add to all the weird kind of metaphysical stuff we've been talking about, uh, Chris had a couple of quick points to make uh, about Superman Beyond, which were very interesting. So, uh, of course, as we pointed out, Limbo, Morrison's Limbo, originated in Morrison's Animal Man. And now, again, this is where this is good to have Chris listening because I it's been a while since I read Animal Man and I'd forgotten this point. And I've never read all of it. I've only read bits of it. But apparently, PJ, towards the end, and I, this is ringing a bell now, when Buddy Baker is making his way through Limbo, uh, he's looking for the monkey who had written a very important story. <laughs> in Buddy's case, it was his own story, which is what he needed in that moment. And of course, in Superman Beyond, Mary Mang says that a monkey wrote the Infinity Book. And he points out it's the same monkey, basically. Yeah, that... <laughs> it's all connected. Uh, and he also points out that like Buddy saw it as a 2D book, but Superman and Co. see it as a four-dimensional book, probably because they have like supervision. They've got the, the 3D glasses on when they're... um and uh you know to be honest i'm actually surprised that morrison themselves didn't turn up at the end of this as they do in animal man well yeah uh and also to go into some really kind of um metaphysical uh uh uh, realms which i think is very fitting because you you know for a fact that this is something morrison is thinking of um when captain marvel and superman uh, read the infinite book and they get a glimpse of the origin of the DC universe, the origin of stories on a blank page. Uh, you know, they, it's basically, um, uh, Chris points out that while he isn't an expert in mystical Judaism, uh, this is the exact concept of the Ein Sof. And I do apologize if I've, uh, uh, mispronounced that, but the concept of Ein Sof, Ein Sof, and capital C creation as outlined in uh, Kabbalism. Kabbalism. I, Kabbalism. I Kabbalism, I, I think. Kabbalism, yeah. thank you. Which I know for a fact is the kind of thing that Morrison would be very, very aware of. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot for a, a daft uh, kind of comic you'd get in your newsagent, uh, you know, about men in tights. But <laughs> this is really the Morrison ethos, I think. Yeah, I, Chris uses the word astounding, and yeah, that fits <laughs> in in chris's own words grant is making it comic cosmic but they are also using a very potent form of ancient established mysticism to illustrate the creation of the dc universe it's really astounding and that is an astounding email thank you chris yes thank uh, you chris continues to be very enlightening uh, your commentary and we, we do very much appreciate it thank you uh so yeah pj um you know, is that all the cosmicness we can handle for one issue? I, one episode? I mean, my, I'm genuinely, my brain is a mess. <laughs> In a good way, though. You know, like when you've read something where you're like, oh, that's messed my brain up and I love it. No, I, um, I thank you for suffering. You know, thank, thank uh, you no, for... No, it was not suffering. Oh, I apologise. No, thank you for exercising your brain yes, cells. You're yeah. welcome. Uh, so, PJ, where are we going next as a podcast? Well, we're going back to that halcyon period when Superman was an energy being. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! As we look at a series I read, but we didn't cover in detail uh, for an episode. Um, It is John Byrne's Genesis... No, we're never doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I was worried for a moment. No, we're going to look at the three-issue series, JLA Paradise Lost, the story of what Zauriel was up to in between his JLA appearances. 
Yeah, now I, I, I've had the pleasure of reading this for the first time in the last few months uh, in preparation. Uh, never caught this at the time. Uh, it is fascinating to go back to that mm. very early era of Morrison JLA. So not Morrison, of course, Mark Miller. But, yeah. but uh, I, I'm, in, I, I'm interested to, to visit this, PJ. Yeah, so obviously we, we covered it a little bit in a previous episode. I can't remember which one, but we did. But we're going to do now the proper breakdown issue by issue and go through it properly and share our thoughts with you fine and lovely people. Yes, so if you would like to read along at home, we are going to be looking at JLA Paradise Lost Issue 1, Someone to Watch Over Me, from January 1998. What a time. <laughs> well, on that note, PJ, is there anything you'd like to shout about? Uh, no. I no. am not shouting this week. I'm very calm and contemplative. I'm much the same. I have I have nothing left to say. So, other than a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our cover artwork. And to Elliot Red for composing and performing our theme tune, Justice. Uh, oh, just a quick one. We've redone the cover art for my other podcast, Measure of a Fan, now, and it turns out that is also now by Gavin Mitchell. Ooh, hello. You have to check that out. <laughs> he uh, was commissioned by my co-presenter, Matt, and apparently he said he's now drawn me more times than any other person. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gav Mitchell's greatest uh, comic creation, PJ Montgomery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is my G-Moz. Um, if you like hearing PJ and I talk, you can find us on social media. Our details are in the description. PJ, it's been an absolute pleasure. Would you please see us off in your own unique fashion? To be continued. Continued.